0: Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our host, Steve Butler. On today's program, our series entitled, The Second Coming versus the Rapture, as he opens God's Word to study the difference between the Rapture and the Second Coming. It's time to explore Bible prophecy. Hello and welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy. If you've been following along with us, we are in point number five on our handout, the differences between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. And if you don't have a handout, I would suggest uh, very strongly, because we cover so many scriptures. In fact, it may be even too fast to write them all down, and you would miss some key points, potentially that if you would go to the uh, radio station website at whcbradio.org, you can find this uh, handout uh, that has been provided graciously by the station uh, for your use, and you can download that and follow along with us. We are in point number five, and we had started this in yesterday's program, and it is the point about Jesus appearing to the church-age believers only Uh, at the rapture of the church, but in terms of uh, setting up the foundational understanding for what that means that the church-age believers only would be seeing him, I actually wanted to take us back to uh, the time of Christ on the earth after his glorious resurrection, because we know that when he was resurrected, he took on his immortal, imperishable body and had to prove that several times to the, uh, the apostles who thought that he was a spirit of some sort, and that's why he was letting them touch him. That's why he was uh, asking for things to eat, um, to show that it was actually him in flesh and bone, as he said, and he was not some sort of a ghost or a spirit, as they had surmised. And the point here overall is about sight, about the difference between what we would call physical sight and what we would call spiritual sight two two different things and we were in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 trying to initially understand what we uh, need to know about the difference between the two and then we'll go into some other scriptures to expand on it but if we could very quickly let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where we were in our last program and look at that so if you've got your bibles with you and I pray that you do that we go to um, Acts uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you found your Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts, Romans, then you get into Paul's two letters to the Corinthians and we're in the second letter. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, of course, that's one of our great go-to um, chapters when we want to talk about the Seat judgment, which is what we're all looking forward to as Christians because when we are raptured, up to heaven at any moment. It's an any-moment event. There are no signs that need to take place before the rapture, Uh, so we eagerly await that. In fact, I'm eagerly looking forward to my crown that I get because the Bible says if I simply eagerly await uh, the rapture of the church to see our Lord and uh, Savior Jesus Christ face-to-face, that we receive a crown of righteousness and that's in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, if you're curious to look that up. So it's uh, something to, uh, to something to look forward to relative to the rapture. But that's the uh, Bema seat that is described in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in the paragraph right above it in verse 6. But we're down in uh, verses 14 to 17 to make the point about no longer uh, seeing Christ in the flesh, as it were, that it's a spiritual thing that we want to develop here. And in verse 14, we we basically worked our way from 14 through 17 and made the point that we are a new creature in Christ, uh, a new creation, that we are no longer ourselves, we are no longer owned by ourselves. We've been purchased by the Lord with the blood of his sacrifice on the cross, and we are now his and verse 14 says, we are controlled by him. And I wanted to expand on that now as we, we go forward in our handout in point number five under the rapture, and that is to look at John 14. It says, before we go to John 14, just to re- reemphasize, in verse 14 of Second Corinthians 5, for the love of Christ controls us, controls us. What does that mean? So let's now go to John. So we want to go back to the last of the gospel books. We go back to the left, past 1 Corinthians, Romans, and Acts, and we come to John. And we want to go to John chapter 14. And this is part of what's called the Upper Room Discourse. And this was the uh, discussion uh, that Jesus had with the apostles, the foot washing, the supper, and so forth before he was, Uh, betrayed by Judas. So he's basically in the upper room discourse talking to the uh, 11 apostles now who were to be members of the church. They have an interesting relationship in the Bible in that they are Jews and they are also part of the church. And we talk about in Ephesians and other places that when you become a member of the church, you lose your identity. You're no longer a Gentile or a Jew. You are of Christ. You're no longer slave or free. There's no distinction. But it's interesting with the apostles that we find that not only are they members of the church, they will be um, um, glorified uh, along with us. They will also sit on um, thrones ruling the 12 tribes of Israel. So when Israel comes back into the land for the millennial kingdom, the 12 apostles, we are told in Matthew, will sit on uh, thrones ruling over the 12 tribes of Israel. So members of the church, but also directly involved with Israel. So that's a, a, an interesting relationship. So here in the upper room discourse, he's talking to them as members of the church And if you go to Matthew 24 or to um, passages in Luke and so forth, you'll find that he's talking to the apostles as uh, people who will be going through the uh, tribulation period, warning Israel. So as their leadership over Israel, he's talking to them about that. But the wonderful part in John 14 is he's talking to them about going forward as uh, members of the church, was which was yet to come about in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. But he says in John 14, going down to verses 16 and 17, I will ask the Father, this is Jesus speaking to the apostles, and therefore he's talking to us, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he, the helper, may be with you forever. Verse 17, that is, the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. So there's a, a several things here. As we saw back in Second Corinthians 5, same thing here in in John 14 and these two short verses, there's so much to um, to grasp, so much to unpack here. but we are talking about the fact that Jesus Christ is saying that I'm going to go back to heaven. And he's basically saying, I'm going back to heaven because if I'm here, my work is limited because I'm here in physical form. So I, I'm just basically one person. but if I go back to heaven, I can send the Holy Spirit to you, and that Holy Spirit will go into whomever accepts me as the Son of God, the fact that I came to this earth, the death, burial, and resurrection, and I'm now sitting up in heaven again. That if you, you have that belief, then this the Holy Spirit of God will indwell you, and that means that the gospel can go to the whole world. I, it's not limited just to me, Jesus It's now everyone can be Christians, be my ambassadors to the whole world so that the work could expand to the whole world. And, of course, we know from the Bible as well as secular history that the gospel spread rapidly because the Spirit indwelt people. So it says that he will be with you forever, and we explored that point uh, over several programs in this series back in point number four, uh, the point about where Jesus is, we will be with him forever. And of course, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all basically are God. So we have Jesus here, uh, or rather the Holy Spirit here being with us forever, just like Jesus, we will be with him forever. And in verse 17, it says, the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit because it does not see him or know him. And of course, we know that the Holy Spirit is a spirit that indwells us. It's not a point about seeing Him, but we see through the individual who uh, the Holy Spirit indwells. So, when basically, when a person sees a Christian, they see the Holy Spirit. They see Christ, um, and that's a that's an amazing thing to think about to, to ponder on. That when they see you, they see Christ. When they he, when they hear you speaking the words from the Bible, they are hearing God speak to them. They are hearing Jesus speak to them through you. And that's basically what the point here uh, they're trying to make is the world cannot receive this Holy Spirit because they don't see him. They don't appreciate him from a spiritual perspective. Therefore, they can't know him. Therefore, he cannot indwell them because they will not receive him. But it says the Holy Spirit abides, looking at verse 17, uh, in, abides with you because Jesus was still with them and that he would be in you once Jesus left. So, of course, we know from uh, prior programs in this series that what uh, identifies the church separate from every other group is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in each member of the church. Uh, before that, the Holy Spirit would come on an individual and even at the time that Christ walked the earth, the Holy Spirit would come on an individual but not indwell them. That didn't happen until Jesus left um, in uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. So we have the Holy Spirit is something that the world cannot see. So I'm I'm making the point here through these scriptures in Second Corinthians 5 and now in John 14, and we'll go to Matthew here uh, shortly, is... We're talking about a spiritual sight as opposed to a physical sight because we're going to see here in these scriptures that when Jesus walked the earth after his glorious resurrection in his glorified body, there were people that basically saw an individual, but they didn't see Jesus. They didn't recognize him for who he was. Uh, only the church saw him for who he was because they had uh, what we call, or what the Bible calls, spiritual eyes. So hopefully you see that because in in John 14, verses 16 and 17 here, that with the Holy Spirit indwelling you as a believer, indwelling me as a believer, we now have spiritual eyes that uh, that, uh, God has given us, that we can see things, uh, if you will, that the world does not see because they do not know him, therefore they do not uh, have the Holy Spirit indwelling them. So let's, uh, let's move on to Matthew 13 and see if we can flesh this, this point out a little bit further about eyes to see. So we're in John 14, one of the gospel books. So let's move back to the first of the gospel books, and that's Matthew. So back to the left, so through Luke and through Mark, and then into Matthew. And we want to go to Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13. And in Matthew chapter 13, we want to look at verses 10 through 16. 10 through 16, and let me read that first, and let's see if we can unpack some of that. Matthew 13, verse 10, And the disciples came and said to him, to Jesus, Why do you speak to them in parables? Verse 11, Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because, here it is, while they While seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Verse 14 In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. Blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. So we see from this passage that the disciples are curious, and this is early on in the ministry of Christ when he has called his um, apostles together. Uh, So they're now uh, learning more and more about Christ. And once Israel has uh, started to turn their back on Christ, he no longer talked to them in straight language, if you will. He started using parables, and in Matthew 13, this is where he starts to do that. And the reason he's doing it is because they really don't know who he is. They don't see him as the son of God. They see him as the son of a man, and their heart has been hardened, um, as it says, several places in the Bible. And again, we're talking particularly about Israel here, but there's an application as well to the whole world about spiritual eyes and ears and being um, uh, having your eyes veiled to the truth as an unbeliever. And he's trying to, uh, to make the point here that when you accept Jesus for who he is, that he will open your eyes and he will open your ears through the Holy Spirit to understand and to perceive what Jesus is trying to get across about the truths of being, uh, if you will, a, a Christian to being members of the kingdom, which is being promised to Israel as well. And in verse 11, he makes that pretty clear. He says, Jesus answered them, to you it has been granted, so to you as believers, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, those who do not believe, it has not been granted that they simply don't uh, have eyes to see, the spiritual eyes to see, and they don't have the spiritual ears to hear what's going on around them, both visually and um, auditorily. So they're just not they're not getting what Jesus is trying to tell them. They're not getting what the apostles are trying to tell them about the gospel, the good news of the kingdom that Jesus has come to offer. So it's, a, it's an idea, again, about spiritual sight uh, that I'm trying to get across here. There's a difference between spiritual sight and physical sight. So you can see uh, as an unbeliever, but you cannot see into the spiritual realm. You can't see into the truths of what Jesus would have you know about him and know about the kingdom that he's offering. And again, this is not, uh, for us, it's not a kingdom that's here on earth. It's a kingdom that uh, Jesus is building, um, which he will then separate the church out from. But he's really ultimately talking about his kingdom that he's going to set up on the earth with Israel as the central focus So we have that in Matthew 13, where not only the Old Testament, but Jesus in the New Testament is, again, making the point, if you don't know me, if you don't have faith in me, then you can't see me for who I really am. So having established that, we're going to um, go forward and get some examples out of the the New Testament about Jesus and his... um, ministry and about seeing him as the son of God, seeing him with spiritual eyes. But we now want to answer a question from a listener, so we're going to pick up this series in point number five um, next time in our next program. But We have a question from a listener in Elizabethan, and that question is, will the Old Testament prophet Elijah literally and physically return during the tribulation? Well, that's a, that's a great question from the listener in Elizabethan. So first, let's, let's establish the, the biblical description of who Elijah is. Elijah was a, an Old Testament prophet sent by God to warn the evil kings of the northern kingdom of Israel in approximately the 800s B.C. before Christ and the old testament accounts old testament accounts about Elijah are found primarily in the books of 1st and 2nd Kings which cover that time frame then in the new testament there are 29 references to Elijah so here's an old testament figure that receives quite a bit of prominence in the uh, the new testament with 29 references and the key old testament passage for this discussion to help answer the uh, this question is found in Malachi chapter 4. So if you would, in your Bible, turn to the Old Testament to the last book. Well, if you're in Matthew, turn back just one book to the last book of the Old Testament, and it's uh, Malachi. And we want to go to the last chapter. There are four chapters in Malachi. And in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, it says, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now understand here that this is the last book chronologically that was uh, given to Israel before God just basically stopped talking to them through written word, uh, through the prophets, if you will, for 400 years until the time that Christ came onto the earth and started his ministry. So he's one of the last things that God wants him to know is that before the great and terrible day of the Lord in Malachi four five, and that's talking about the midpoint of the tribulation, when the Antichrist goes into the temple in Jerusalem, and declares himself God. That is when the great tribulation starts, and the terrible wrath that God is going to bring against the people of Israel for accepting. Uh, the antichrist as the messiah and he says i'm going to send you elijah the prophet before that day comes so that's the the significance here of uh, starting to answer this question when jesus came to the earth the first time two thousand years ago he came to announce that he was the messiah promised in the old testament and that he was ready willing and able to set up his promised kingdom on earth God even sent a man to prepare the way for Jesus, just as the Old Testament had promised, and that was in Malachi chapter 3. So let's, um, in your Bible, Malachi chapter 4, just go back to the chapter before, Malachi chapter 3, and let's look at those first two verses in chapter 3. It says, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight behold he is coming says the lord of hosts but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears for he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap so here he's talking about the lord coming back at his second coming and who can stand because he's coming back jesus is coming back at his second coming to judge the world but before he does, he's going to send a messenger. And that messenger is identified in the next chapter, which we just read, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. That is Elijah. Now, in the Old Testament, that man uh, was John the Baptist. And you say, wait a minute, what's going on here? Well, let's see if we can clarify that. Let's go to Matthew in the New Testament. So back to the right, just one book to the first of the New Testament books, to Matthew chapter 3, and looking at the first uh, three verses. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, Now in those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, when he said the voice of the one crying in the wilderness make ready the way of the lord make his paths straight so we have john the baptist coming and you would think well maybe this isn't this supposed to be elijah well let's see if we can understand that because we're told here the messenger that actually has come to the earth at the time christ was here was john the baptist so, staying in Matthew chapter uh, in Matthew, let's go to chapter eleven. Matthew chapter eleven, and it says in eleven verse fourteen, and if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah, who was to come. So they're saying that if you would accept it, John the Baptist is actually Elijah, who was promised to come. And then let's go to, uh, staying in Matthew, go to chapter 17, Matthew chapter 17 and looking at verse nine and forward here, it says in Matthew 17, starting at verse nine, as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them saying, tell the vision to no one until the son of man has risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, "'Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first?' And he answered and said, "'Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands.'" And then verse 13, "...then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist." So basically, we're learning here, the Bible teaches us that John came in the spirit of Elijah, because Jesus knew as God that the people of Israel would not accept him the first time, that he would postpone the offer of the kingdom until his second coming, when Israel would accept him as the Messiah." And then Elijah would come as his messenger. You know, it's generally speculated that one of the two witnesses God sends to Israel before the midpoint of the tribulation, that great and terrible day of the Lord we saw in Malachi 4-5, would be Elijah. The Jews, in fact, have for centuries left an empty place setting for Elijah at their Seder Passover table, expecting him, Elijah, to return at any time. Also, the false prophet of the tribulation is called a prophet, like Elijah, and he exhibits powers like Elijah, such as calling fire down from heaven, so that the Jews might think that the false prophet is indeed the promised Elijah, that will come physically and literally before the midpoint of the tribulation. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on today's Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.